Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I'm pumped to be here. We out here in the diner, y'all. You know, I've had some New Yorkers on the show before. I've had some people from Jersey. I don't talk about them. But have individuals that are surrounded by great diners of the world. But today, I have a guest from the Twin Cities. And the Twin Cities really has one diner. There's a few, actually. It's actually a couple of good diners here. I shouldn't say that. But there's one famous one, Mickey's. Uh, it was in the Mighty Ducks. Potentially, you remember that. Uh, but uh, we're not going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about other stuff because she is someone who... I'm trying to be friends with, and it's working, which is pretty awesome because she is an incredible friend uh, in progress. And Elizabeth Reese, I got to tell you about her because she and I have had the opportunity to share the microphone before, but this is the first time we're only doing an audio version. Elizabeth Reese is a television and radio personality in the Twin Cities. She co-hosts Twin Cities Live weekdays afternoons from 3 o'clock to 4.30 on KSTP if you're in the Twin Cities area. If you're not, those letters don't mean anything to you. Uh, (laughs) She also co-hosts a podcast called Best to the Nest, focused on making our homes happy, healthy, sanctuary where we are at our best. She grew up in Apple Valley, Minnesota, but now lives in Minneapolis with her husband, Jay, daughter, Bernadette, sons, Franklin and Heathcliff. Listen, y'all, I want you to compare your family names to their family names because you can't. They crush the naming department, and I want to hear about why they chose these names. Uh, They also share their home with a German short hair pointer named Gracie Lou and a flock of chickens because... Why not have a menagerie? Uh, Elizabeth Reese is an incredible woman and a badass, and I'm excited for you to hang out with us in the diner. So slide into the booth and clap it out for Elizabeth Reese. What it do? Hi, friend. How are you? Are we ordering pancakes, eggs, milkshakes, all of the above? I have the best memories of going to Mickey's Diner with my dad as a kid. He used to haul us all in the car. And he'd be like, we're leaving the suburbs. We're going into the city. We're going to go get uh, Mickey's Diner. And we just went there like a year ago, too, with my kids. And they loved it. It's a great time, Mickey's. I know. The old, the uh, the original one was closed down. The one that's like in the rail car. Mm-hmm. It was closed down for a while because of uh, COVID reasons, yep. I'm sure. But yep. I think it's back open. It is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Just passed by it uh, recently. Just the other day, actually. Love it. That's awesome. What is what is your if we were late at night in a diner, Elizabeth yeah. Reese, what is your late night guilty pleasure order? Oh my gosh, it would have to be like something sweet and salty. For sure a milkshake. I like yeah. I love a milkshake. I just had one I shared one with my daughter last weekend. I hadn't had one in a long time and I'm like, "Man, this is great. Still and then hit. I like multiple plates. So like, I want to be with someone who wants to share with me. I don't want to be with someone mm. who's protective over their own plate <laughs> and wants to order their own thing. And is like super picky about stuff. I want to be with people who are like, let's order five different plates of things and I'll share it and have all the bites. So I hope that you're, you'd be on board with that. Cause otherwise I don't know how far our friendship's going to go. Yeah, this yeah, this is an important test. This is an important. Well, let's 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 get let's get to the real meat of it then, because if we're going to share some plates, I'm and I'm down to share. Good. But I'm particular about the setup of a few things. 
How do you eat your pancakes? Um, okay, well, I always like to order a table pancake whenever I'm yeah, out. If I was like move. late month or <laughs> late night or brunch, a table pancake is appropriate because nobody wants to commit to pancakes for their entire meal because then you're just going to take a nap like 30 minutes later. <laughs> and and you, I got to have some savory in there. Mm-hmm. So I like a table pancake. I definitely want lots of butter. Like I want more butter to syrup ratio. And okay. I do, I'm kind of a snoot about like legit real maple syrup. I, and I think this comes from my dad too. My dad always loved real maple syrup. I mean, he's still with us. He still yeah. loves it, but he, um, <laughs> he has not passed on yet. He, he loves that. And I am like that too. Like the smell of fake syrup gags me. So yeah. at Mickey's, I don't think they have real maple syrup. So I'm going to have to like smuggle in a glass bottle of <laughs> smuggle it in one of those, of leaf, syrup. one of those leaf shaped bottles. I love those. I love it when it's in a leaf shape. It's great. <laughs> squeeze straight out of, a, they just squeeze the state of Vermont into a leaf. That's it. I know. I'll take it. <laughs> Someday I would love to have land and I would love to like tap maple trees. You know, we, we do like a, some urban farming in our Minneapolis yard, but there's always like a draw to the country for me. So I don't know. We'll see if we get there someday, but it's hard. You can't walk to restaurants. That's hard too. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's, it's a tough balance. That's a struggle. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. I respect that you put a lot of butter on it. I'm also, I do a lot of butter and a lot of syrup. Yeah. Uh, which is where, uh, Tina and I sometimes differ. Sometimes she's mm-hmm. like, can you just like cut it in half and give me the drier half? Mm, um, that's and, fair. That's yeah. fair. I do yeah. like some sort of compote, you know, if there's like a blueberry compote. Mm. Mm. I'm I'm down with that too. Yeah, I forgot to read that in your bio. Actually, we have extensive you have a whole paragraph about compotes. She's I, a compote I lover. Over. Yeah, Who loves compotes. <laughs> compote of any kind, she'll take it. Really, that's it. That's it. Yeah. But it's on the tombstone. Um, <laughs> compostable with compote. That's true. Uh, I do love compost and compotes equally. That is wonderful. Yeah, there you go. Big fan. <laughs> big fan. Big fan. Uh, I love that. I love that. Now you know you have. Uh, you have this beautiful life that you have created for yourself here in the Twin Cities, and we're going to get to that. But I want to take it back to the Apple Valley Elizabeth Reese days. I want all the way back, even even past the days of the blonde bob. We're going past those <laughs> days. Uh, we're taking it all the way back. What what was Elizabeth Reese like as a young girl? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a good question. I think probably... I was always very driven. I was always very um, like interested in things and people around me. And I always loved reading and speaking. I mean, like I remember really loving reading out loud in a classroom and Mm -hmm. this is going to be like showing my not so great side was I would get frustrated with kids in class who couldn't read as well out loud, you know, and I'd be like, Mm -hmm. why is this person reading? Which that's, that's not, (laughs) I needed to do some self-growth there. And I have, you know, James, yeah. we weren't all perfect right out of the womb. Well, maybe we were, and then we regress and then we get back. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, I've, I think I've always been very social mm-hmm. and I think probably my um, like teachers and family would have described me as sort of a born leader. Like I, I just, I like being around people and I, and I like, I think I kind of, 
naturally maybe attract them to to just i don't know go to the next step do something and i'm the oldest you know i have two younger sisters so you look have like bossiness born into you yeah they're always yeah, like come yeah. on here's what we're doing let's go let's go you're like a little mother hen <laughs> the pied piper of people um <laughs> that's amazing the being the being the oldest was that something that uh did you ever feel pressure around that or and maybe and maybe you still do to this day of feeling pressure around what it meant to set the example or i find oldest oldest children go one of two ways either turn blatantly of responsibility and duty and and often a lot of pressure which which way did you go i don't think um i don't think i took on the pressure i actually think i went a third route which i was sort of like uncertain. I was very well aware that I didn't have any path paved for me ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And my parents didn't grow up in the Twin Cities. So my dad is from a small town outside of Milwaukee. And my mom grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. And they moved here um, right after they got married. My dad was a Lutheran minister when I was growing up. So that's a whole nother level of analysis of what that does to you <laughs> as a child and adult that I'm happy to get into at any time. But um, so when my my dad, um, my parents got married and my mom tells this story that they, they had to be in this like big ceremony when my dad graduated from the seminary. And this was familiar to my mom because my, my, both of my parents come from a long line of Lutheran ministers. So this yeah. is, this is like very familiar to her. So she <laughs> is in this room and they had just gotten married and they're getting their like call assignments of where they're going to go. And my mom says that she was repeating to herself anywhere but Minnesota, anywhere but Minnesota, anywhere but Minnesota. <laughs> and so, you know what God does with that? Yeah. He's going to say, get it, girl. Yeah. Let's go. We're going to Minnesota. That's terrific. You know, you know, you need a, you need a little challenge. So they got a call to go to a tiny church in St. Francis, Minnesota, which now, I mean, that's still considered out there, but then it was considered like way out there. Cause yeah, I mean, you right. know, 1980 cars probably didn't even go faster than 30 miles an hour. So, you know, it took <laughs> you a long time to get there. So, um, so they came to Minnesota. So I, so I remember, you know, you're a Minnesota transplant. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that making friends here can be a challenge and kind of figuring out. And I think it can also be a challenge when you have really little kids because everyone's like busy, you know, you have right. little kids. You're like, Hey, sweet. You want to get together? I have time between five and six before someone's going to sleep and someone's probably going to be crying. And it might be one of the adults. Like, yeah, I don't right. know. So <laughs> it's, it's like a challenging time. And so my parents moved here and then you add in the funny layer of being a religious leader and it's mm -hmm. very difficult to make friends because and especially back then it was like nobody wanted to be friends with your pastor you're gonna go have a beer with your pastor i mean now at like these mega churches people totally do that and yeah. you're much more considered like a holistic person which i think is a wonderful evolution of churches in general but back then it was like you were a totally separate being mm -hmm. and so my parents didn't have a lot of friends we had a good church community, but there was still like a solid separation between us and the rest of the members because yeah, yeah. it was just like this distance Power dynamic feel. almost. For that, sure. Yeah, for sure. That you didn't and want, then, but yeah. yeah, that's kind of how it happened. And then um, and then I was the oldest. Um, and we moved to Apple Valley when I was in first grade. I went to a really small Lutheran school in St. Paul when I was in kindergarten. My teacher was Mrs. Kleppy. She's amazing. I keep in touch with her. I see Shut her regularly. Up. She's fabulous. She's a big listener here. Actually. She's wonderful. I'm sure she is. <laughs> and um, and then I went to 
you know, a new elementary school I'd never been to, and I just didn't have anyone paving the way. So I remember feeling like insecure about being like naive and not knowing anyone and not having them know who I was, you know, that's just you, when you're friends with older siblings, it's like, oh yeah, this teacher knows you because they had your sibling. When you're the oldest, there's just this constant trying to figure out like, okay, okay. I guess I got to be the one to pave the way. And that, I mean, that was probably the most like anxiety inducing part of my childhood. I think that I remember. Mm -hmm. Was that pressure to impress? Was it a pressure to uh, like, what, what was that? It was just a pressure to figure out what was going on, you know, and to figure out, navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't have anybody laying the groundwork. You didn't have like, oh, I went to my sister's soccer games and she likes soccer. So maybe I'll like soccer. (laughs) I mean, it was just, you know, it's a funny thing. This is going to sound sort of silly, but it's like, okay, how I can liken this to is when, um, when you have unlimited options, I mean, that's a great thing, but mm-hmm. it can be sort of, and you've never done something before. It can also be really paralyzing. Like my former television co-host, Steve Patterson, who will be thrilled that he was brought up this early in this conversation. Oh, God, he, the end of it. <laughs> he will love it. He built um, a house with his own bare hands. No, he hired some people <laughs> to build a house for him, but it was like a, um, you know, it's like a big national builder. And so they come in and they're like, here are the options that you have, right? So you can do X, Y, Z. You have three options for this and that's it. And he would feel like kind of frustrated by that. He's also a youngest child. So, you know, he is a totally different perspective, but he would feel frustrated by that by being like, you know, I, I just want gold hardware, like, and they don't have that as an option, you know, whatever. When we, we have an old house and we renovated a big part of our old house when we moved in, it needed a lot of work. And, um, and so we had, you know, we had a contractor who would do whatever we wanted, which is really great. But it's also like when you have unlimited options and you've never done anything like this before, you can stand there with your eyes wide open, just trying to be like, how do I figure out even what to do? Which was funny because then I think that like brought me back to that feeling as a child and why it was like very uncomfortable for me as an adult boy i haven't even gotten to that in therapy and we got to it here and i don't even have to pay you (laughs) i mean i'll take your money but (laughs) uh uh, you pay for the tip at the diner Um, (laughs) but yeah that's i mean that is a a that's a powerful revelation b uh that was a a long walk for a very good drink of water yeah um and and so i appreciate the analogy you know it's kind of like uh the, the cheese cake factory menu versus a prefix meal where it's like yes. you can pick one of these three choices yeah yes. um and and the cheesecake factory menu is overwhelming mm-hmm. um and so fortunately the lines are always long so i don't go but yeah uh, and you should get the avocado <laughs> egg rolls if you go if they still have those those were really good i had those uh, like 10 those years mac, ago the mac and cheese balls are yeah, the, are the move <laughs> okay we can go there too all right. Sounds good. And apparently we're sharing. So um, I'm in. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, that is uh, that is fascinating that at that age, at that age, you felt uh, you felt this pressure of being the pioneer woman, mm-hmm. um, not the woman on HGTV, but um, <laughs> but still uh, or a food network, I should say. But yeah. um, the uh, that that's that's so interesting. And, and I love how you paired those two with you initially started talking about how, you know, I was the leader. I was outspoken. I was the one who if there was a passage to read in class, my hand was going up and I was ready to orate. Um, right. Like that's that's that 
that confidence paired with the almost the opposite of that of like oh god but now i am i am the one i was to figure it out but i have the Mm -hmm. confidence to figure it out that's an interesting juxtaposition and you and i are similarly aged i was born in 82 and uh no you don't have to date yourself but uh, 81 what up so much more mature than me um but actually (laughs) uh but still (laughs) the uh i'm wondering where that leadership came from was that something that is that is that a trait from your mother or your father or was that just like you know where where did that uh, i'll call it confidence at such a young age come from because there's ways to be super insecure and also we're talking about the early 80s and you know women's rights were a thing of course but it wasn't necessarily as loud as as amplified it is as it is right now now i'm like you know t- talk a little bit about that where did that come from well i think a lot some of it was born my parents talk about when i was about three years old they like i was three and they had a discussion that they said okay we're either going to try to like you know try to control her or we're just going to let her go and let her do what she needs to do. Like, this is the personality of this person that we have living in our house. And so, <laughs> so, and they decided to do the latter, which I think was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, my parents always really empowered all of us um, to speak our minds and that what we said mattered. I always remember feeling like even, um, you know, my dad was a little trickier than my mom too, but with this relationship, but I always, I particularly always remember my mom always wanting to hear what I had to say always. And I think that was like invaluable. And I certainly am. I actively do that with my children. I mean, my daughter says to me 50 times a day, mama, I need to tell you something, mama, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something. And I, there are times when I'm like, okay, I mean, how many times are, what are we, what are we telling you? But, <laughs> but I want, but then I say, and I need to hear what you have to say. I need to hear what you have to say. Like she needs to tell me something. I need to hear it. And, um, and so I think laying that foundation is really important. And, um, and then I think, you know, growing up in the church as a pastor's kid is complicated. Mm. I think it was probably the best training for my current public life that I could have possibly have gotten. And I didn't know that at the time, but my, none of us turned out as like the stereotypical, like pastor's kid, bad kid or good kid, right. Either trying to be so perfect and everything's perfect all the time. Or you're just like, F this man, I'm out of this system. I'm never going to live up to it. And so I'm going to be like the rebel pastor's kid, which boy was footloose, like my favorite movie. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. Yeah. I gotta. I'm gonna watch that. I think this weekend just to like relive my childhood. Mm-hmm. But um, they were always very clear that um that we were that the expectations for us to behave as people and to contribute to our family and society were based on expectations that were set set within our family, not in any way set within this church community. So that was really good because then I didn't have to live up to what any of these people thought of me. And that has been the most invaluable lesson that I could have possibly learned. And I'm not saying that that's just like cemented. And I do regular work on boundaries and work on making sure that I that I continue that because now, you know, we have 100,000 people who watch the show and who are consuming you know, me on a daily basis. And I have that firm foundation of what I, what I accomplish and how I behave and, um, and, you know, the person that I am, that's for me and my family that I am not, 
living up to the expectations of any other group of people. Because if you start to think that way, you're, you can't even function. I mean, if you start to think I got to live up to the expectations of every single person watching this show, or even every single member of a 1500 member church, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to get annihilated and crushed. So that was, um, I don't know. What was the question? Did I answer it? Did I get to it? (laughs) I like, you know, the thing about me, James, everywhere I go, there I am. You think you can end this conversation. I'm always here with me. Yeah. I'm, I'm always here with me. Always. There's the quote. Um, a, every podcast has a quote. That's yours. Yeah. I'm always here with me. It's I'm exhausting. always here with me. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> yes, you did answer the question, and I appreciate the answer. Uh, and yeah, I love. I love also how you're like. This is what set me up. Whether whether I knew it then or not. Right. This is what set me up uh, to be in a public facing career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yes, right now you are on television. You've done some radio stuff as well. When did you make, I guess, when did that come into your life? When you were super young, did you want to be on TV? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, when I was about 13. I remember having like a very pivotal, um, like a God moment, like a voice within, the still small voice within you that speaks to you. And yeah. I remember having that when I was about 13. And I remember I was watching TV news and I remember being in my parents' house and I and I thought, um, I just heard this still small voice within me that said, um, I can I can do that and I can do it just as well as them, if not better. And yeah. that was that was the voice. And then, um, and then it was just kind of like things just sort of set up. I don't know. I think when you, if you can be open to those still small voices and you can hear what it has to say, it's unbelievable what follows because then, um, the year after that, my mom's cousin who she like barely knew, my mom has like 60 cousins. I mean, we don't know any of them. Who are you? Okay, great. She has so many cousins. Cause I mean, her parents both were like a family of 11 and a family of 10. I mean, there's tons of them. They're everywhere. And, um, she had this cousin who randomly came to Minnesota to go to school at Concordia St. Paul for one year. Okay. And her name is Rachel and Rachel grew up in Tennessee. Like she had no business coming to Minnesota. (laughs) She didn't even know like what snow was. And so my mom was like, we need to take Rachel in. Like my cousin's moving here. We're going to take her in. We're going to help her. We need to help her buy a coat, (laughs) you know, like all this stuff that you have to do. She's like, she doesn't have any boots. She needs some boots. And so Rachel came and Rachel wanted to work in television. She was in college. She was like 20, 21. And Mm -hmm. I like soaked up every minute with her. I mean, it was so interesting how it was like I had had this like still small voice and then Rachel comes and then Rachel left. But she ended up getting me my very first internship at a station that she'd previously worked at in Madison when I was in school. I mean, it was all these little things that then... um, the opportunities just kind of opened up. And so I just consistently kept knowing that I was on the right path. And I mean, it wasn't the easiest path. I mean, it was, it was a very poor path for a long time. (laughs) Oh my gosh, my first job, I was so broke. It was so sad, but um, you know, then I, then you continue on, but it was not easy. Yeah. 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 Shout out to Rachel coming in on the, on the shiny unicorn. I know. And just really setting it up. Yeah. She totally did. Just to follow. That's yeah. Amazing. It was great. And then we had a mentorship program at my high school mm-hmm. where you could team up with someone in your, um, you know, in your field, if you were interested in it and I wanted to work in TV news. And so, um, 
I reached out to Amelia Santanello at WCCO, who's mm-hmm. there. She's been their main anchor there for years and years at the time. She was the weekend anchor. And I said, well, can I be your mentor student? She has not had a mentor student prior and never had one since. So I don't know what that says about <laughs> me, but Amelia, then she took me in. I mean, it was, it was yeah. really like, I feel like, and, and Amelia, I'm having coffee with Amelia next week. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating relationship. And I, and I feel like those things again, like when you, when you're on the right path, you, and you're open to it, these like relationships and these connections and these opportunities seem to sort of open up. It's the law of attraction, whatever. This is great. Doubt closes doors, hopes opens them. I Uh, like it for sure. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, it's interesting that you said that that happened around like 13, you said 13, right. Is when that, when you saw that show and this, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the voice of God came in, um, right? Which uh, sounds surprisingly like your own voice, guys. Just FYI, yeah, it's not yeah, as right. booming as one might think. <laughs> Hang on a second. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I want to touch that with a ten foot pole, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Uh, we'll have that one over a little drink. <clears throat> um, but uh, but still, uh, the uh, it, it's interesting because. You are you have this strong personality, this leader, um, and this confidence at that age, and and then you're staring at the TV, you're watching the nightly news, and you're like, I can do that, and I could probably also do it better, <laughs> right? Like this is also when I think about thirteen. When you think about 13 in that age range, this is also where the insecurities are often bred that we our counselors are now dealing with now, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it's really incredible that, and I'm, I'm not saying you didn't have any insecurities because you were confident in this one area, but to be confident in this area is really cool at that age. You'd be like, no, I think I know what I want to do, or I think I think this is, I think I could be really good at that, and it looks like it'd be fun mm-hmm. uh, during this time where insecurity are a Bruin, um, right? And that's where a lot of my insecurities stem from and the stories that I talked to Sarah about. Sarah's my counselor. Um, and uh, <laughs> shout out. Mine's she's, Amanda. Shout out to yeah, Amanda. Shout out. Yeah, she's, she doesn't know this, but she's a regular guest on my podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, uh, that's, that's beautiful. So you wind up going to Madison, mm-hmm. hanging out with the Badgers, eating at Dottie Dumpling Dowries, crushing yes. burgers. Oh. Um, and uh, uh Seriously, one of the best burgers I've had in the last five years. Just um, the best place. I love it yeah. so much. <laughs> and uh, and so you're there going through this. You also, in that time, join a sorority. Mm-hmm. Uh, what sorority were you, are you a part of? Kappa Kappa Gamma, KKG. Kappa, yeah, you, you have the key to my heart. Oh, uh, gosh. Just it. give me a bouquet of Florida Lees, please. <laughs> Florida Lees, please. <laughs> um, that's amazing. That's something you and I haven't talked about, but we both have uh, history in Greek life. Um, and, uh, and I love that you post pictures with your sorority sisters still on the regular um, on a regular for sure yeah. best friends for life okay <laughs> it's actually true there's yeah. they're just the best actually. it's so fun <laughs> um and uh, this is also where you wind up getting was your first job in green bay straight out of straight out of college no that was my well that was my second on-air job my first okay. my first paid tv gig was in madison i worked the assignment desk at nbc 15 on the weekend mornings, mm-hmm. it was epic. I would get in there every more every weekend morning at like 8 a.m. And that's not a great time for a college student to have to get to a job. <laughs> um, and I would go get Cheez-Its out of the vending machine because I maybe had had a few too many cocktails the night before. Whatever, James, stop Whatever. judging me. And then <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I um 
And then I would have to call every police department, like in the state of Wisconsin, you could, they were called beat calls. And so I would call and I would call the dispatcher and I'd be like, Hey, this is Elizabeth from NBC 15 in Madison. Did anything happen overnight? And they'd be like, no. And then sometimes they'd be like, they'd be like, yep. And that was what I had to do. I had to like cover my bases so that when the reporters came in in the morning, I could tell them if anything had happened overnight. Um, and then after, so I did that. Um, and I, I interned there and then I worked there and it was really nice to, you know, make some money for being there. And then I would go out mm -hmm. with the reporters after my shift um, on the desk. And then my first on-air job was in Duluth. So Duluth, oh, I was yeah. at KDLH, which was the CBS affiliate um, in Duluth. And I started there as a reporter. And um, and then within about six weeks, the morning anchor left. And then our news director, Jim Wisniewski, gave me the morning anchor gig. And he was like, OK, so you're going to anchor and produce this show. And by the way, you're going to create a whole new show. And I was 21 and I had no idea Incredible. what I was doing. I mean, no idea <laughs> at all. I was 21 years old. It was yeah. unbelievable. It was like uh, shocking. Um, and I made a lot of mistakes and I also learned so much. I like the Duluth crew is the best crew. It was just great. That's what a cool experience and a crazy opportunity to be like, here you go. This is yours now. Yeah. They're looking around like, is she talking to me? I um, know <laughs> it was, it was unbelievable, but he, Jim was Nesky. We called him Wiz. He was the best. He was absolutely yeah. fantastic. And then after, then it was like the biggest lesson of my life was when I left that TV station because they actually um, the new ownership came in and told us who was fired and who wasn't and changed the locks as they were having the conversation. It was unbelievable. There was, the station was sold and it entered into like what's called a shared services agreement with another station in town. And so a few of us were, they, a few people, they kept their contracts and they had to start working for this other station that had previously been their competition. And then the rest of us were asked uh, unceremoniously to pack up our bags and leave and, um, wow. And it was, it, it was crazy. I, you know, I'd kind of knew that this was like a possibility cause we knew mm -hmm. this sale was going to be happening. So fortunately I'd done some interviews and I, um, I was prepared to, to find another job, but, um, I remember, like, I always say this even to today, I always say someday is going to be my last show. And I just hope it's not today because literally that's what happened at my first job. Like I had no idea that an hour prior, it was my last show. Isn't that wild? It was crazy. And, and it was, and then I went on and in that, that was a really formative experience because I just, I don't take it for granted that every day I get to do a show. And I'm very well aware mm -hmm. that like this today could be the last day. And it doesn't mean I have like this, you know, miserable thing. It's just like, okay, I'm just going to do it today and then we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That spirit also has you, it makes you leave it all on the field. Yeah. Right. No regrets. Um, uh, yeah, that's awesome. And what a horrific way to have to learn that lesson and yeah. to now live with that slight fear. Yeah. Um, it wasn't great, but it was, you know, I think if you have, like I have, I always had a safety net, you know, I knew, yeah. I mean, it's not, my parents weren't supporting me, but I knew that I could move home if I needed to, you know, those are the yes. things that you, that you get and that that are a privilege when mm -hmm. you have a stable family and you have a family with um that's able to care for you. You know, if I had yeah. if I would have had to be like mom and dad, I got to move home for 6 months, they would have been like great, rent free. Come on in. You know, I mean that's right. that that allows you to sort of move through those things without being 
totally traumatized and mm-hmm. able to more quickly, I think, pick up the lesson from it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was beautifully put. That was beautifully put. Uh, in the media, in the media world, you typically uh, you grow in the media by moving from smaller markets to larger markets, mm-hmm. right? And so you were in that you were in Duluth, then you go to Green Bay. I don't know if Green Bay is a larger market, but it is, uh, maybe yes. it's it is okay, great. Um, yep. and I don't know the swath of these, <laughs> so uh, I'm um, happy to explain that over pancakes anytime okay, too. Perfect, sounds good. good. Yeah. yeah, I'll get a map out. It's gonna be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, you worked alongside a mutual friend of Jay Olstead. Yes, um, you know I Jay. I had dinner with him last night. Oh my um, gosh, no way! And his yeah. wife Jessica. Oh my gosh, we have we have legendary stories. Uh, his wife and I have covering trials together. A hundred percent. I can only imagine yes. the stories that you have. Yes, uh, I love it. So you wind up crushing some time in Green Bay, uh, and at, at some point in time, you're, you're doing, I guess, uh, what I will uh, uneducatedly call the hard news, um, right? Where you're reporting on exactly what's happening. You're sharing, yeah. you're sharing the the tragic stories, the hard stories. You're sharing the loss. You're sharing the et cetera, et cetera. There's also some good things every once in a while that you're mm-hmm. allowed to share. Yeah. Those are usually in the last five minutes, um, <laughs> and so. Uh, at some point in time, you make the transition to this incredible lifestyle news show called Twin Cities Live. How did that transition happen? And is that one that you were looking for? Um, or is it one that kind of fell into your lap? It was a combination. I was looking for something different. So I spent three years in Green Bay. And um, and then I got a job in Minneapolis. And, um, and, you know, that's like the Holy grail, you know, like if you're from Minneapolis, Minneapolis is, you know, it's the 15th largest television market in the country and it is one of the best quality local news markets in the country. So Mm -hmm. it's really, I mean, you know, New York is number one, LA is number two, uh, Chicago is number three. And uh, for a long time, for most years, Minneapolis and Denver have been considered like the best quality local news markets. Mm So, um, and then if you're from here, like this is where you want to go, you know, yeah. you want to get home and it's, it's great. So I, um, I got a job as a morning reporter at KSTP and at, towards the end of my time in green Bay, I was starting to get that little nudge of this isn't really authentically me. Like mm. I am, um, you know, I'm, I started to realize that I just, I was sharing stories that weren't what I really wanted to be sharing. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and that doesn't, you know, I I still think there's a huge value. I I think there's a huge value in journalism and I think there's even more value to be quite honest in local journalism. And so um, I think that all those things are really important. It was just starting to feel like it wasn't in line with me. And so I get this job and I remember thinking, Okay, I'm going to go to Minneapolis and I moved home. I moved in with my parents, which was mm-hmm. awesome. Nice. And um <laughs> it was great. And I so I moved in with my parents and so I remember thinking, okay, I'm moving in with my parents and um until I figured out like where I wanted to live, what kind of place I wanted, all that stuff. And um and I thought this is either going to really rejuvenate me, like this is going to be the move I needed to make this to continue on in this career. Or this is going to be the thing that I say, okay, I, this was great. I did it. I'm going to move on to something else. And so mm-hmm. I felt really like at peace with that. Um, and then when I got to Minneapolis, I started working with um, unbelievable people. I mean, it, it was amazing. The people at KSTP have been and and still are so phenomenal. And But I remember looking around and particularly then 
we had, I mean, this is 15 years ago. We had a newsroom of like really, really seasoned reporters. So a lot of reporters who, and then there was like a group of us that were younger, that were more scrappy, that were just like coming in and, you know, didn't know as much of what we were doing. But I remember looking around at those reporters and thinking, I'm not getting the same thing out of this that they're getting. Like, I'm not, I see them like when they like crush it on a story. And I think I was still, I think I was a good reporter. I was still doing well. And I was, you know, living up to the expectations um, of my employer. But I was like, I'm not, I don't feel the same way about this that they do. And that was a real pivotal moment. And, um, and then, you know, opportunity arrived in the form of the parking lot. They had just launched Twin Cities Live on KSTP a couple months before I arrived as morning reporter. Mm -hmm. And um, it turned out that the guy who hosted the show, John Hansen, was the one of the original hosts of Twin Cities Live. He was also from Apple Valley. He's five years older than me, so I didn't know it. I yeah. know him. And so I would repeatedly remind him of how much older he was than me. But we um <laughs> we happened to run into each other in the parking lot. I was leaving work and he was showing up. And so and I knew that he was from Apple Valley. And so I was like, oh hey, you know, I, I'm Elizabeth Reese. Like I'm from Apple Valley. Turned out he had moved back to Minneapolis to take this job. And he was living with his parents while he figured out where he wanted to buy or rent or whatever. Yeah. And our parents live on the streets next to each other. That's what happened. It was that's crazy. Literally, the streets next to each other in Burnsville, which is, you know, just right next to Apple Valley. So um, so we had both moved back. We both had no friends because, mm -hmm. you know, like I had some friends, but a lot of my friends were married and, you know, all that. And I and I wasn't I was in a relationship that was about to implode, which was fine. And um, <laughs> and John was single. And so John and I became really good friends. Like he was like, let's hang out. Like, let's we, who else do you know? That's like, you know, moderately young and single is living in Burnsville. No one. Yeah. Let's get together. So. <laughs> We started hanging out and then he um, and then his co-host called in sick one day and said and they were in a panic of who can fill in. And John said, hey, I want to want to see if Elizabeth Reese can do it. And so they called me and asked if I could stay um, or I think I like ran home and got a change of clothes and then came yeah. back to the station and then filled in on Twin Cities Live. And then I started doing um, more fill in work for them. And um, and they were in the process of looking for a reporter. Um, and so at a certain point, I realized this is this is where I want to work and this is who I want to be with. But mm -hmm. I had to navigate that within the building and telling the person who'd hired you to do one job that you really like. Thanks, but no thanks. I'd rather move over to this department and do another job is like a little trickier than one would think. Yeah. Um, but I remember having this moment um, of feeling like I I just knew, I mean, I, I got to the point where I was like crying on my way to work every day. Like I just knew that this news thing was ending. It this is just like, it was too yeah, much. And there were all these things. And I remember I would stop at the caribou coffee at Byerly's in Burnsville quite a bit. And everyone working there seemed so happy. And my very first, like one of my very first jobs was at a coffee shop that mm -hmm. was like a little tiny coffee hut. And I loved it. I still like have <laughs> dreams that I'm working at that job. I loved it so much. And, um, I remember having a meeting with my, the woman who's now been my boss for 15 years. And I said, here's the deal. Like I want to come on to twin cities live. I would love this job. And, um, I am either going to get this job on twin cities live, or I'm going to go work at the caribou coffee 
in Burnsville because <laughs> these are the two things that I feel yeah. like are in line with what I want to be doing. And frankly, at that point, I was like, either one of those is going to be fine with me at this mm -hmm. point. I've got no, you know, I've no rent to pay. I live at home. I, you know, I will be fine. Um, but this is where I'm at. Like I'm leaving news regardless of if I get this job with you or not. And so, yeah. and then that started the ball rolling. That's great. All it all happened in the parking lot. Oh, uh, parking lot. But again, amazing. you know, it's those just yeah. kind of like random meetups that like random connection that seems random. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I just don't think it ever is. And, and yeah. again, it goes back to like being on that, on the right path and figuring out the right path and being open to whatever possibility is out there. Even if you have no idea what it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, some people, so many people think that, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And I believe that is true. Uh, I believe, I, I believe that's true. If you take it one step further, everything yeah. happens for a reason. If you make it matter. Yeah. Right. But you, you've got to make it matter. And yeah. that's, yeah. and that's what you did, which is really cool. Again, that, that, that old school, uh, Elizabeth Reese came out where you, you, you took a shot, right. You shot mm -hmm. your shot and you said, this is, this is what I want to do. And you either get me or I'm over here making uh, coffees that aren't venties um right they're not venties no the they use caribou. small medium large which yeah. i really respect That's over great. there yeah, i don't want to mess with a tall like what is that james <laughs> i don't know i don't know why the tall is the smallest one the tall's the um, smallest. as a tall person i'm offended me too uh, <laughs> Uh, but still, uh, <laughs> it's all, I'm sure there's some mental psyche. Wait, that went into it is, it. it is funny too, because I'm actually very good friends and having dinner with next week with the president of caribou coffee. And, um, and he loves that story. Like he thinks that's like the best story ever because, yeah, you know, yeah. it, he likes, anytime I tell it, he likes that, you know, he's going to get some, he doesn't send me anything, but he, maybe he should, I'm going to tell him, I told the caribou story on a podcast. Yeah. Please send me some beans, John. Honestly, get it over here, John. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> throw me some beans. Beans. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love this. And now it, it's incredible the work that you get to do now. And now for those of you that have never seen Twin Cities Live, um, it's a show that I've had the opportunity to uh, do a couple of segments on and co-host next to Elizabeth a, a few times, which is just a huge honor. So um, and it involved me also shooting my shot. Um, and, and you know, as she mentioned, Steve Patterson was leaving. Um, and uh, so I, I called up, I called up Elizabeth. I called up Christian, there's a producer here and uh, executive producer and, and uh and said listen uh i don't i never went to j school i never i, I don't i i didn't i don't work my way up through any markets right uh maybe <laughs> maybe like whole foods to uh cub foods like those kind of markets maybe. Great markets. um strong markets but uh but still uh i was like i don't I don't know. If, I don't know what you're looking for. I don't even know if you already found your person, um, but I think I could be really good at this job. Um, and I think I would have a lot of fun. And I think Elizabeth and I have cool chemistry. And I was like, you know, so if, if you're, if you're still accepting people, throw their hats in the ring, throw your hats in the ring. And so, so, so we'll let, the show that Elizabeth gets to co-host every single day and has now for 13, 14 years. Yeah. Uh, almost 14. 
14 the show just had its 14th anniversary 14th so I anniversary think, yeah. i don't know listen these years yeah. go by it's yeah don't worry really about it let's crazy. not do math yeah i know it gets um, too confusing <laughs> and every year it changes james how's a person yeah. supposed to keep track ah, that's rude um <laughs> the uh the show is a lifestyle news show and so if you, if you have the privilege of watching elizabeth do her job uh she's on there talking to local artisans about the things that they're making local businesses about the uh, the community that they're developing while also giving great products uh, they're out there talking about different types of fashion and different trends and and bringing in local chefs and learning how to make really cool dishes and cast iron pots <laughs> and uh and it's a it's 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 a joy to watch um and what's even more special to watch is watching elizabeth make it seem so natural um and and elizabeth the the way that the the poise the composure and the casualness that you have at the same time it's that is a difficult balance um and to do it for this many years obviously you've got your reps in i don't know if we're at ten thousand hours now but see previous <laughs> comment that we neither of us like math um and so but uh but still uh you know, you have this natural leader about you and it's so, it's really cool to hear that it sparked uh, from such a young age, right? That other, you're just commanding personality of like, I got this, right? I'm, I'm going to read in class. I got the teleprompter. <laughs> all right. Like, you know, like you're still offering to read in front of class I know. Uh, as, as a job, which is incredible. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, what, what do you love about what you do? Because Yes, every show is different, uh, but at the same time, you now, you know, I mean, the cooking segments all are a little different. The yeah. fashion segment, all there, everything's a little bit different, which is fun to have a little bit of variety, but it's also 13 years of like, I think I know how this is going to go mm-hmm. at this point. And so uh, tell, tell me a little bit about why, why do you love it? Why do you keep doing the same thing five days a week uh, for, for 13 years? Well, I need the money, James. I mean, honest to God, what do you think? That. Or, obviously, that that's Let's the only reason. Bread. I mean, wh- why else? What? No, <laughs> that is very helpful. I do appreciate being compensated for what I do. I find that yeah. to be muy importante when it comes to your work environment. But, um, you know, I just I'm always interested in people. I'm always interested in people. I'm always interested in what they're doing. I'm interested in learning something new. I never get tired of learning something. And I always am learning something. And and so that's why it just never gets boring. It is funny to think, though, it's been 13 years, five days a week in the same studio. I mean, we've switched out some furniture, but a lot of it looks the same. (laughs) We're due for a set reno, by the way. And um, and um, but I think it is that feeling of just always being interested in what people have to say. Yeah. I, I just am. And I want to know what they're up to. And I like learning from people and I like learning from their experiences. And I like hearing how they're doing things that are making their lives better and more enjoyable. And I don't take it for granted. I never feel like I don't want to go to work. Um, I've had, I've certainly had difficult times. You know, when Steve left, it was very difficult for me. I personally and professionally, because Steve and I are very, very close Steve, my husband and I were just group texting this morning about Steve's latest juice cleanse today. And Jay (laughs) is convinced that he's going to go on a, on a chicken wing (laughs) diet. And so they were battling back and forth of whose diet idea was better, but you know, whatever. But, um, that, um, and there have been times when we've had 
real morale crises within the group of people that I work with. It's a small group of people and it's a very creative subjective job which can make doing it well challenging because some days people think it's great and some days people think it's not there have been major challenges with um managing my own boundaries with viewers um figuring out how to you know just sort of continue to settle into my own skin and and remind myself that i need to be that my worth comes from within that my worth and my value doesn't come from external Mm -hmm. forces i mean all of those things have been a challenge. We went through a pandemic. We went through and continue to go through um, significant social unrest within the Twin Cities and particularly in my neighborhood right where I live. And Mm so um, there have been a lot of things, but I think I love this place and I love where we live. I just love it. And I I love the Twin Cities. I love Minnesota. And and so I always want to know what people are doing. And, you know, and they always bring good snacks. It's like really great. What are you going to say, James? 13 years in, you're sick of eating ice cream on TV. You tell them that's not going to happen. This is not going to happen. It's not. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Like, someone's going to feed you some sort of delicious salad. I'm in. Great. Yeah, yeah. I'll have a bite. One thing I, I wish I had asked you beforehand, because y'all very, very courageously just like threw me the woods. Like, we're not going to tell you anything. Get out there. You probably um, should have like, told you more. Oh, Sorry. Live TV. I know. <laughs> That's what happens when you've done it for so long. You're like, oh, they'll catch on. It'll be yeah. fine. And I, I think I got there. You did. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the one question I do wish I asked on the front end is. How big of a bite do I take? Right. Because uh, right. that's something you got to train for. Uh, you do have so, to train yeah. for. I take yeah. small bites and then yeah. my my male co-hosts consistently take larger bites. Yeah. And um, and even female. Most of my co-hosts just take whatever bite size they want and then I figure it out and I'll work around it. And it <laughs> You're watching them out of your And it works like, out right. fine. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> like how, how, how deep are they diving into this French dip? Let me, yeah, I got to determine. What's going on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That Ajou, what it do? Um, <laughs> the uh, the the interesting piece, and you and you brought this up, and and and, uh, and I, w- I want to go a little bit deeper into it. Is that you know there are times where people can look at your show and be like, oh, it's like uh, news light. It's like uh, it's not it's not fake news, which now is really not a good term. Yeah, um, no, but uh, but fluff it's, news uh, maybe fluff news. That's better. Yeah, uh, but some could see it as a fluff news, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, because you're not talking about some of the deep things uh, that are happening in the world. Um, and as you mentioned there, you know, as as a strong badass woman, uh, I'm sure there are some times where you'd like to open your mouth. And I'm wondering for you, that's got to be an interesting place because you are uh, beautifully a woman with an opinion. And uh, and there are some things that I'm sure that you would like to talk about, but I'm wondering how do you know when the right time to talk about something is and how to talk about it? You know, obviously the murder of George Floyd happened and Twin Cities Live didn't shy away from it, uh, which was incredible. But you very easily could have. Right. Um, I have the one of the shows that I got to co-host was on Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King Day. And I was like, I was like, well, I'm talking about it. I don't know if they're talking about it. But I'm going to figure out a way to talk about it. And fortunately, y'all were like, no, we're talking about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I went back and watched previous episodes where you did the same thing. Um, and so uh, I'm wondering, how do you find that balance? Because uh, your viewers 
don't tune in to your show because they want to get smacked across the face with the hard truths of today. Right. Um, and, and that is okay. They're, they deserve a spot. When we turn on our TV, we don't, you don't need to hit by, be hit by it by everywhere. Um, and you know, we gotta, we gotta ebb and flow with that stuff as we need. Um, but at the same time, uh, there are conversations that need to be had. And I'm wondering how do you now, especially in your new producer role as well, congratulations um, of the show, you know, how does that sit with you and how do you make those decisions and draw those lines? It's, you know, it's hard. It's not, it's not easy. I would say, you know, any broadcaster will tell you that a scripted format is easier to do well than an unscripted format. You know, our show is about 80% ad lib and 20% scripted. If you're a news anchor, you've got um, the complete opposite. If not more, you're probably 90% scripted and 10% unscripted. And so figuring out that balance is very difficult. I think I, I have looked at it as um, it is, our, it is important for us to acknowledge what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. It's important to us to not just put the blinders on and go, okay, we're just going to pretend nothing else in the world is happening and just motor through. At the same time, it's very important for us to stay true to our mission. Mm -hmm. And our mission is about connecting our community and making people, helping people, supporting people in the quest to feel good about where we live. And at our core belief is that there is more good than bad. As, as troubling as the world can feel, there is more good than bad. And you'll experience that anywhere you go. I mean, you're in a, you walk out into your yard today, you are going to see probably 100% good things. And then at some point you might see like a 0.001% of bad things, right? I mean, how many times do you walk out of your door and see someone get mugged in that moment? It's a very rare occurrence. So so the show, we sort of reflect that mentality that in daily life, there is much more good happening than bad. And that being said, when things are challenging or it's a struggle um, and it seems to sort of overtake where we are, how we're feeling collectively as a community, that it's important that we acknowledge that. And the murder of George Floyd was particularly difficult because, you know, um, we're in a pandemic. We have social unrest. I live in Minneapolis. I've lived in Minneapolis for over a decade. Um, and so a, a much of the demonstration and the, and a lot of the activity was happening in my neighborhood and yeah. directly impacting where my kids go to school and all of those different things. And so there was a lot of, of wrestling with that. And so I think I always try to just take a step back and a deep breath and go, okay, how can we acknowledge what's happening? And then at the same time, move forward and stay true to our mission. And our mission has become even more important. You know, it was a time, I, you know, I remember when the show started and it was like, everybody in the newsroom thought it was a dumb show. That's just the truth. I mean, I worked in the newsroom and people yeah. were like, and I, to, I already told you that I worked with amazing people yeah. and I love them very much. It didn't mean that they didn't think Twin Cities Live was stupid because they did. And they thought it was never going to last. And it was just like a time when that lifestyle local television was not happening. And if it was happening, it was so bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so everybody thought it was going to be a total failure. And many people thought I was nuts for moving over to Twin Cities Live from the newsroom. They thought it was career suicide. Yeah. And so um, what we've realized over the years is that 
what we do is very important. You know, when you get messages from people who say, I just moved here and I had no friends and I felt so lonely and I felt so lost. And then I turned on your show and you guys were my first friends. I mean, I literally hear that all the time. You were my first friend in the Twin Cities. That is like, I mean, I get emotional talking about it because it's such a gift. It's such a gift. Mm -hmm. And then when you hear from people who say like, I went through a really hard time or my mom loved watching your show. She loved it every day. And she would call me and she would tell me about it. And I'd be like, oh, mom, okay, what do you have to say that Elizabeth said today? Blah, blah, blah. And she's since passed away. And when I watch your show, I feel connected to her. I mean, that's like real stuff. That's Mm -hmm. real stuff. And, um, and it's something that I just value so much. And I don't, I do not take it for granted. I have taken things, you know, some things for granted in life. That is one thing I do not take for granted. Yeah. No, look, James. I'm, 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 I'm tearing up over here. What this are you is doing? disrespectful. <laughs> now our friendship's at a whole new level. Oh, and I don't know God. if either of us were ready for it. I I I'm not. I'm not ready, but I'm in the pool now, so it's time to swim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was beautifully put. Uh, and I think you used the perfect word when you said gift, uh, because it, it is, it is a gift to give to individuals. Um, and, uh, not every show is for everybody, right? That's why there's 9 million shows on the world, right? So if you don't want to turn the channel over, um, right. But still, so I, I agree uh, with you and I think you all do find a, a great balance. Uh, cause I think that was one of my things that I was nervous about, was like, you know, how do we, how do we handle some of the truths that are truths? Um, and that's that, you know, tough things happen and some people are hurting. And, uh, you know, one thing that you all don't shy away from on the show is mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, 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 and so, uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really powerful to watch. And, uh, you brought up a word earlier that I, that I'm in love with so much so that I'm, I wrote a speech about it. Um, and we'll probably working on a book on it now, but curiosity, yes. um, and curiosity creates community mm-hmm. and curiosity is a choice and uh you choose to make it every time that you have somebody in front of you you don't have to right you we know what it's like to be in front of somebody who's phoning it in mm-hmm. um in a, in a conversation because i mean sometimes we've all done that right we've all been tired we've all been like i haven't eaten in forever i don't know <laughs> i can't think anything but right right someone's yelling right um and so right there's 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 times where curiosity is a choice that uh, that we don't make for whatever reason, uh, but uh, you make it every single time that you walk into the studio. You make it every single time that the the next guest comes on or the next opportunity comes on. And uh, curiosity is so powerful in the way that it does create community. And that's why I love hearing that you don't shy away from talking about some of the truths because there are some moments where it's like, no, you need to be curious about what's happening mm-hmm. around us right now. Like you need to be aware. We need to talk about it. Um, and we don't need to hammer on it. We don't need to show you the gory details or whatnot, but like the world is happening, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not. Um, and, uh, so I love the way that you approach a lot of that stuff with love, with curiosity. And I'm wondering, was curiosity always a trait of yours? You know, sometimes when you hear people that are individual that are those, those hard, those hard headed leaders where it's like, here's where we're going. Everybody get in here. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes curiosity uh, doesn't always happen to those folks as quickly. Um, and, and so I'm wondering, when did you develop your curiosity? 
Um, well, I think curiosity, great leadership comes with listening and comes with curiosity. I mean, I don't think you can be a leader if you're not interested in what other people have to say and what other people, how other people think you might go about doing things. Um, I've always been curious. I've always been a really, um, like I've always had a love of reading. And I think that that is really where my curiosity probably started and is kind Mm -hmm. of at the core of it because I've loved reading and I just love stories. So if you like those things, you're just really, you're just kind of a naturally curious person. I think people who love to read are naturally curious. I mean, you just are attracted to that because Mm -hmm. you just want to learn more and you want to know more. And, um, and you like that sort of individual, like quiet, um, that's like a quiet curiosity, you know, it's just like a, like a really individual experience to just sit and read and, and connect with a story. So, um, reading and writing have always been two things that I'm really passionate about. And Mm. my dad always said, you can, you can be great at anything. If you are a great writer, if you love to write and you learn to become a great writer, you can be good at anything. And it's so true because in college I was not good at a lot of things, but I was a good writer. And so I was able to fake my way through a lot of papers. (laughs) Like I, my whole poli sci degree was like, I think kind of a fake deal because I just like wrote stuff out. Um, So that was sort of, you know, a, a natural inherent thing to me, you know, and then growing up, I think in a church is my dad was a great storyteller. You know, he Mm. would, work really hard in his sermons. And he would, um, he was all, I remember he was always conscious about the time. I would time his sermons. He never thought that they should be over 18 minutes. He was convinced that 18 minutes was like the do or die time that once you got into 18 minutes, it was too much. This I would probably, TED Talks. right. I would lower that to maybe 14 <laughs> now at this point in time, but you know, people's attention spans have shortened in the modern age. And, yeah. um, and he would always be really good at sharing anecdotes and, and seeking out great stories as illustrations, which is of mm-hmm. course, you know, what, what, nobody was better than that than Jesus Christ himself. Right. And, um, and then my dad was a great Packers fan. And so he would speak equally the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Vince Lombardi. And so it was a very nice <laughs> blend. And, um, and so I, I found stories to be meaningful and I loved hearing them. And then I eventually loved sharing them. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, the other thing that you're great at is yes, the storytelling oh, This is a great piece. podcast. Thanks James. The other thing you're great at, let's well, keep going. I have well, an extra yeah. hour. <laughs> great. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> but like uh, clearly you clearly you've, de- you've demonstrated your uh, ability to tell great stories or you've told a number of great stories already on this show. Um, and, uh, and you tell them on a daily basis. And uh, there's the other side of it, which is the asking great questions. Is this something, is that a skill that you had to learn? Um, Or is that something that always came naturally to you? And do you have any thoughts on how you ask great questions? Oh, I totally had to learn. I mean, I remember being so nervous to ask questions in a press conference in my early reporting days, for sure. I mean, I was... Mm -hmm. And then I was, uh, you know, was that a good question? Is it, did I know enough to ask a question? One thing that was, that was a really helpful thing that I finally let go of, which is thinking you have to know enough to ask a question. Like, how dumb is that? I mean, that's what I thought. Like the point of asking the question is to know more, (laughs) like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to know something 
in order to be entitled to ask a question, particularly if you are in a situation in which you are an interviewer and you have someone there as an interviewee, or you have like a public official who is accountable to the public. And so you can certainly ask a question. Um, so letting go of that was a big thing. And that just came with time and confidence. I mean, that, that probably took, I mean, I don't think I felt started to feel not nervous about asking a question until even probably a few years into Twin Cities Live. I'm sure there were times because I was just more concerned about, is this question going to sound dumb? And is yeah. this person going to think that's a good question? And now I've, I've definitely let go of that, which is great progress. Um, and I think the most, you know, the most important thing about asking good questions is being a good listener. Because if you're so busy, and I've worked with you know, with people who've struggled with this, where if you are too busy thinking about your next question mm -hmm. and not having enough time, and then you're not actually listening to what the person is saying, then you've got a problem. Um, and some of that, and that comes with a lot of practice because sure. you have to be able to truly listen to what that person's saying and be in that moment and then ask the next question. And that's, tough because you know then you got to think of the next question pretty doggone fast <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you you know if you are in that really authentic listening space um then you can you can get to that next level so it's certainly practiced definitely it, it's and it's a it's a skill that you can totally get better at with practice yeah yeah, yeah, it's it's like the uh, the people who can pat their head and rub their tummies at the For same sure. time, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm out here doing circles in both places. I know cool. it's hard, and and then <laughs> add in that you've got a producer in your ear telling you, you know, you wear an earpiece when you're on um, television. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a producer in your ear telling you, hey, we've got this graphic coming up next. Hey, don't forget about this video. Maybe ask about this. Hey, by the way, you only have two more minutes. Hey, hard out in a minute and a half. Like, uh, you know, all those things are happening yeah. at one time. So <laughs> that is definitely something that you have to practice because the first time you're trying to listen to a guest speak and think of what your next question is and having a producer in your ear telling you all those things, your head's about to fall off of your body. You're like, right, what? yeah. And so sorry that we did that to you, James. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I loved it. was a rush to have the thing. I felt so official. I was like, oh, my God, look at this. It's like little, I know it's you're like either little, like on little TV. Squiggly, it's a little yep. squiggly thing. Or like, your oh secret God. service, whatever, yeah, right, whichever yeah. one feels great. Either one's great. Yeah, yeah. It's a win-win. Uh, yeah, for sure. My my only issue is that my the microphone was the, – the cord was loose. So I couldn't oh, I hear know. anybody. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, that was – but, yeah, that was a rush. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've made it. Um, <laughs> I got a squiggly thing. Um, <laughs> uh, Elizabeth, here's the last thing that I want that I want to touch on. And it's uh, it's, it's a little bit it's, it's just maybe a little deep, um, but I, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, because you are a, a, a proud, strong woman. True. And uh, and that's something that you don't shy away from on TV. And the world doesn't always celebrate a stroud a strong proud woman mm -hmm. um and the world is a work in progress i think we're we have we have certainly come a long way but we're not done yeah. uh, and a lot of your viewers are i don't know the exact demographics of, of tcl but if i had to guess you know it skews um, is your average age listener somewhere like 45 to 55 somewhere yeah. in that range yep. right yeah and it well, and it's shifted it used to be even uh, older and now yeah. it's shifting younger mm -hmm. it's moving younger yep for sure um and uh 
And so, so therefore, you add that piece of it even even uh, deeper into generational uh, issues of yeah. of uh, feminism um, or lack thereof. <clears throat> and I'm wondering for you, you hinted at it a little bit earlier, where. You know, whenever when I had the opportunity to do the show, you go, you posted the picture on Facebook of like James said it on the show, and it's you and me in our in our chairs, and then everybody's comments below it, and half of them are why is Steve leaving? Uh, the other, the next, the next largest chunk is what is Elizabeth wearing, and why did she bully everybody? Yeah. Um, and then the last is like he was good, um, right? Like, and that's and that's true. No matter who co-hosted, that's what was in there. Yeah. Um, it was the same exact pattern, which a speaks to Steve Patterson's greatness um which he, i will delete that um, from this he will not hear that um but uh but still um but also speaks to the pressure that you are under um as someone who needs to continue to live your true self which is that three-year-old who your parents had to make a decision about of like are we gonna let this one fly or are we gonna try to find a cage um right and yeah. and that leader that happened when you were when you, when you were younger and that leader who looked at the TV and you said, I could be that. And I think I actually could be better. Right. And that, that leader who, uh, you know, came up to a guy in a parking lot and said, hi, I'm also from Apple Valley. Right. Like that same strong, badass woman. Um, how do you juggle it? You know, cause a lot of us know that people are judging us. A lot of us assume that people are judging us. You know it. Yeah. And you, re I don't know if you read it. I don't know if you avoid it. I don't know what, how you handle it. But I'm wondering, where do you continue to dig into your confidence well, into your I am enough well? And how do you continue uh, to step into your badassery on a daily basis? Therapy. Therapy helps a lot. Yeah. Therapy helps a lot. Um, you know, that's a, it's, that's such a huge question and conversation and it is um it's a daily work and a daily practice so there are a few things um that happen i have established quite a few boundaries and i work on those all the time so for example and these are you know i mean these are pretty tangible and probably applicable i i know like my it might seem like oh this is you know, only applicable to someone who's on TV, but it's really not because everybody is part of a community and everybody is part of, um, everyone is being judged by people around them. So boundaries are a big thing for me where I do a lot of work on number one, what can I control? So there's certain things that I don't look at. Like we have a, we have a twin cities live twins, you know, twin cities live at kstp.com. You can email that. That's not a good place for me to go. Like I'm never going to go there ever. Yeah. I actually just had to talk to our reporter, Kelly, a few months ago. She was like, I looked in the twin cities live. I read these emails. She was filling in for me. Um, when I broke my ankle recently and, and she was starting to get some of the stuff that I get. And she's like, I just don't know how you'd like get this all the time. And I was like, Kelly, number one, never look in that email <laughs> inbox. Like, what are you doing? I love you so much. Like never, ever, ever do that. Yeah. You know, never Google yourself. Like these are not good things, you know? So mm -hmm. setting up some physical boundaries on your, in your space, Number two, really recognizing that, I mean, the vast majority of what people have to say about you has so much more to do with them than it does to do with you. And mm. that is just like, that's that's one of my cornerstone truths. And so I know that to be true. I am going to go all Oprah on you in that business where the vast majority of what people have to say about you has much more to do with them than it does to do with you. Because what's happening then is that you are triggering something in them 
that mm-hmm. they don't feel good about. And I've even, you know, that even is happening within your own relationships where like, if you notice the thing that's bugging you about your kid is probably something that bugs you about yourself. Like when you're mm-hmm. looking out, you're seeing a big mirror. And so when I can make that separation from people, that's hugely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then understanding that if I'm going to, you know, quote unquote, clap back, right? Like as the, you know, as like uh-huh. the, the tabloid media loves to say, they clapped back at this person on Twitter. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really doing that from a perspective of like, this is a bigger lesson here. So for example, yeah. I had, um, I had someone, I just, you know, I posted a video yesterday of leaving my daughter's classroom. I volunteered in her classroom yesterday. And when I left her class, I found a massive amount of stuff in her locker. Like I opened her locker and I was like, oh my gosh, here's like three (laughs) coats, three pairs of shorts, five shirts. Like what's happening here? So I post this funny video of me I thought it was funny of me after like with this boatload of stuff that I'd pulled out of her locker. Okay. She said it. And then of course, you know, and this is to be expected. Of course, there was one woman who commented, don't parents these days keep account of their child's items. Like some, like somehow I was some terrible entitled loser parent who just like willy nilly bought my kid 15 coats because she kept losing them, you know? Right. Yeah. And I thought, you know, and and your first kind of gut reaction is always like, you suck, you suck, you suck, you know, (laughs) I mean, you just suck, whatever. And so that's like the small me being like, you know, but the bigger thing was then I kind of stepped back and I was like, you know, this is the thing, though, like when you make a comment like that, what you're saying is like, I don't have it all together. And so I replied to her and I just said, hey, I, you know, I get it. Um, I said, but this is a I said, we do parents do ask about items that are we can't find but this is a huge part of the mental load of motherhood that is such a struggle which is the daily constant inventory of every single item in the house and we are doing our best and um and so i i try to be conscious about when i'm going to sort of you know hey you know hey i'm going i'm going to say something here because that it's that it's something with the intention and with the heart behind this is something that the collective has to work on. You know, you're not just hurting my feeling, you know, whatever you think I'm, you can think I'm whatever, but like there are mothers all over that we're struggling with this mental mm-hmm. load of motherhood that is crushing us physically and mentally and emotionally because we are expected by society to do and be everything for all people that you, you don't get to put that on me and the other mothers that are out there. And so, um, so that's kind of where where I'm at. You know, the yeah. the body image stuff is a big deal. It's a constant battle with people expecting my body to be a certain way in order to be worthy and in order to be um, able to do my job, which I'm just going to call straight bullshit on that. You know, right. that is just the straight BS. Yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to live up to that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's something that's been just a consistent work in progress, too. But it's it's a lot of boundary work. Um, and then it's also a real deep love of connection and a deep love of community and expecting that we can do better. And so uh, if I can do better, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to do that too. And I get feedback certainly that says, Hey, could you say this differently because of X, Y, Z? I remember one time someone saying, Hey, can you refer to diabetes as type two or type one? Because those of us with type one, it's a real different deal. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, yes, I can. <laughs> thank yeah. you. You know, and thank you. Yeah, right. Yep. And thank you. So uh, understanding the difference between constructive criticism, things that can help you do better, and then things that um, that are more about them than they are about you. And then also um, really setting up firm, tangible boundaries of what you see and what you don't see. And then consistently re-examining those standards. If if somebody comes at me about something about my kids or about my parenting, you just get blocked. You're blocked. That's it. Blocked. I, it's, not, I... it's not a conversation. It's not anything. Yeah. And that's just a boundary that I've set up. And I really encourage um, people just in general, public job or not, to mm. really um, constantly be looking at your boundaries. And it's a huge help to have a therapist help you with that. I yeah. love it. Great. Yeah. Also, Brene Brown. She's a she's a free therapist. She oh, read her stuff. Speaking of crying while while I do right. things. I know. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. So I hope that helps. Yeah. We could do a whole nother episode on that, James. Yeah. I mean, really, it's that's yeah, yeah. it's a big can of worms that will come flying at you, and they're sticky and grimy. And yeah. No, it's it, it it is it's powerful to hear you, you talk about it because you face it on a, a day-to-day basis. Um, a just being a woman in the world, B being a, a public figure and a woman in the world. Uh and uh and so I was curious to hear your answer to it. And I and I love those answers. Boundaries are are something I've heard of. I've heard they're a good idea. Um so I'm <laughs> looking into them. Um right, I gotta I gotta find a fence guy around here. Um but uh but yeah I think uh, you know as someone who has a deep desire to be liked um and someone who is as is still working on defining his self-worth based on what I believe to be worthy as opposed to what other deem is worthy. Right. That's that's what I work on with Sarah. Um and uh and it's it's I'm a work in progress and yeah. it is working, right? I mean I, you know you've obviously I come on the show, I make jokes about self-esteem all the time and there's truth in those jokes. Of course there always is. Um but there's also self-awareness and that's a really huge first step. Mm-hmm. Um and to hear you articulate some of the steps that you've taken to protect yourself, uh hold on to uh your worth at the same time, realize that you are flawed and occasionally say, you know, something that's just a little bit off, right? You could say it a little bit better, right? You're open, sure. still open to learning. It's not the, well, this is just the way I am, um, right? That's not, that's not authenticity. Uh, that's, that's uh, selfishness or self-centeredness, yeah. right? And so uh, it's beautiful to hear you talk about it. And I agree, Elizabeth, we, we could have spent the whole episode on it. And I thought, of, I'm not going to lie. I thought about it. Uh <laughs> But there's so many things that I could talk to you about. We didn't even get to how we both one day want to have an apiary in our backyard. I know. Uh, you know, and <laughs> we didn't touch on uh, uh, what is now, I'm sure, a mutual fear of ice. Um, and not just mine. So bad. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but yeah, there's so much more uh, to Elizabeth Reese, but I am grateful uh, to have gotten what I could here in the diner today. You even uh, got a swear word. You got one. Snuck it in there. That's it, baby. That's and progress. Get, that's the thing I get the most heated about. You got it. Don't isolate that and then and then have it replay someplace. I my day job. I might have to be like, can you bleep it out? And maybe yeah. bleep it out. That's the whole thing. Well, you are wonderful, James. I adore you. I've loved when you've come on the show. I think what you share is so just relatable and uplifting and you really challenge people's views on different groups of people at which I think is so wonderful particularly I think you know you do so much work with the sororities and fraternities that's a whole other thing we could talk about but um that you challenge people's views on what they sort of paint a picture of those types of kids to be like and um 
And I love that, you know, personally, I think that's so important, but you are an absolute joy and, and getting to do TV with you is so fun. And doing this is like even better because, you know, I don't have a producer in my ear telling me I got to (laughs) go. It's great. And, um, and you're bringing, you and your wife are just bringing so much goodness to the world. So I adore you. And you're, I mean, everybody like your worth, when you define your own worth within yourself, it is a super, it's an absolute superpower. It's a total Mm -hmm. superpower. No one else gets to determine your worth. That's between you and your maker, whatever you consider that to be. And, um, and I think that's, if anybody can take anything from this conversation today, I hope it's that. I hope you walk out into the world and just go, there's more good than bad. And my self-worth is within. That's it. Mic drop. Boom. Boom. That was beautiful. Uh, yes. Uh, I completely agree, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining me in the diner for the first time. I look forward to joining you in an actual diner here in the <laughs> Twin Cities sometime soon. And uh, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for coming in. Hug that baby for me. I'm going to do it. Y'all, that was my time with Elizabeth Reese, an incredible woman doing great stuff. If you have the opportunity, if you don't live in the Twin Cities, you can still watch some Twin Cities Live. If you go to TwinCitiesLive.com, you can check her out or follow her on Instagram. She is a worthy follow. Eliz Reese, E-L-I-Z-R-I-E-S on Instagram. And uh, what a beautiful conversation with uh, someone who is in the middle of what this world is currently dealing with both in a really beautiful way of the great things that are happening in this world and the cool things, the trends that are happening out, the self care that is happening, the ways that we can eat better food and take better care of ourselves and think better, do better, be better. Uh, and also at the same time, working on the self worth, the inside and the outside of, of working on your self worth, holding on to your confidence and realizing that you are enough. So stand in your truth. Uh, real powerful conversation with a badass woman. Thank you all so much. And do me a favor. Keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Y'all, it was so much fun kicking it in the diner with you. And I would say our timing was right about perfect because I just finished the last few drops of my milkshake. Listen, y'all, you would do my self-esteem a huge favor if wherever you listen to podcasts, if you could leave a rating, if you could subscribe, if you could leave a comment, a review, anything like that, that is how we get this podcast into more people's ears. And if you want to stay in touch with the podcast elsewhere, we are Diner Talks with James on Instagram. (laughs) Pretty original, huh? I agree. (laughs) Also, if you want to hang out with me, Just individually on more places, I am James T. Robo all over the internet. Y'all had a blast with you. I appreciate you. Take care and stay great.